0: Galatians chapter 5 on sin and judgment, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision... Why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please." But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Amen. The Apostle Paul, in this chapter, Galatians chapter 5, in, first, in the first part, he contrasts freedom and slavery. He contrasts also law, justification by law, with justification by faith. Then, he proceeds to describe the way it is to walk by the Spirit and also by the flesh. The Spirit and the flesh. There are only these these two alternatives. Those who deviate from the true gospel, those who deviate from faith in Jesus Christ, true faith in Jesus Christ, and they understand the purpose of the cross, they understand the grace of Christ. Those who understand it they will not seek to be justified by law, which would be justification by works, or works righteousness, works salvation. This, this would also be following the traditions of men, because whatever deviates from Holy Scripture is man-made, and whatever is man-made is a man-made tradition, a man-made law, a man-made custom, a man-made commandment, whatever we might call it. It originates in man, it does not originate In God, chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Christ came to set us free. Remember, he said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 8 32, John 8 36. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, what is the truth that makes us free? The truth is that the law manifests the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And because of it, we are under condemnation. We are under the wrath of God for disobeying his law. We are slaves to sin, we are slaves to judgment punishment. We are under the control of the flesh, the world, and the devil. However, when Christ came into our life, when we believed in him, he sets us free from the condemnation of the law. He sets us free from the penalty of the law. This is the freedom that he provides for us. So if we are freed from the penalty of the law because we could not keep the law, then we should not be subject or subjected again to a yoke of slavery. We cannot go back to it and pretend that we can do works, whether it's one work or a hundred or a thousand, any number of works. We cannot pretend that works And slavery to works and slavery to the punishment, because we'll never keep those works, will condemn us. He's saying there is bondage in that way, in that thinking, but there is freedom in Christ. He doesn't mean freedom in the way it's perverted and distorted today. He doesn't mean freedom in that now that we're in Christ, we can live as we please. We can live in our old sins. We can carry on into new sins. Sin doesn't matter because we're all forgiven anyways and we're going to heaven. That's not the meaning of freedom here. When people promote Christian liberty, it must be defined correctly. The way we just defined it is the biblical way. But Christian liberty or Christian freedom does not mean We can live as we want, live as we please in sin. That's the whole reason Christ came, to redeem us from sin and to purify us from sin, to sanctify us, no longer living the way we used to live, but now in newness of life. The old way is slavery, but the people who distort it are calling the old way freedom. The Bible calls the old way slavery. They call it freedom. The Bible calls true freedom in Christ liberty, and they call it slavery. It's upside down. Isaiah five twenty. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They are doing it in just the opposite way. Verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I, Paul, behold, I, Paul. Pay attention. Listen up. Paul, he is speaking of himself. He mentions himself. Why does he do so? This is an allusion to chapter 1 where he defended preaching the true gospel because he was taught the true gospel directly by Jesus Christ. That's why he reminds us of who he is. He's also reminding us of who he is because of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 11. 6-11. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This also... Maybe an indication of his visual impairment, some kind of eyesight impairment he had, that he wrote with large letters whenever he wrote letters or any communications. And the Galatians are seeing that this book was not written by a scribe of Paul, like Tertius in the book of Romans, or like Silvanus in the book of 1 Peter. In this case, Paul says, I'm writing with my own hand. I want you to know I, the Apostle Paul, who was taught by Jesus Christ directly, I am writing to you. Pay attention. This is not a counterfeit letter. This is not a false apostle. This is the Apostle Paul writing to you. Furthermore, he wants them to know that it's Paul because it says in 617, 617, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. He's saying, all of you troublemakers, you, you should quit and go away, because I have on my body, I have had enough, I know what it's like to suffer for Christ, because on my body, I have brand marks of Jesus. Which means all of the wounds and the scars of being beaten and whipped and stoned, and however he was mistreated brutally, physically. He's got that on his body. The Galatian heretics, they don't have that. False teachers, they don't have that. Only true teachers get persecuted like this, not false teachers. And he's saying, I am a true apostle. They have not suffered for Christ like I have. So Paul the Apostle says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Circumcision. Now, if they promote circumcision with their misunderstanding and with their overturning of the cross of Christ, they have no benefit from circumcision or no benefit from Christ nor from the circumcision he says that you either have Christ or you have your works, circumcision. It's either Christ or a circumcision. It cannot be both. It's not both and. People like to also say, we follow the Bible, but we also follow what good ideas men have, just as long as they don't contradict the Bible. However, that's where the problem is. The moment you say we also follow men, they contradict the Bible. Inevitably, they contradict the Bible. That's why he says it's either Christ or circumcision. Notice, too, he says no benefit. It's black and white. It's 100% or 0%. There is no mixture. There's no gray area for the apostle in reference to the truth of the gospel. There's no gray area. It's either right or wrong. There's either the right interpretation or the wrong interpretation. He reiterates in verse 3, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Well, if you say circumcision and Christ, then you need to keep the whole law. Every aspect, every commandment, every precept of the law. Because you can't say I'm keeping one law when the law has the two greatest commandments and the law has the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are not merely external commandments. They are both internal and external. They start within the heart and then they show on how we live. Such as, you shall not covet. You shall not covet starts from within. And if we don't repent of covetousness, we might end up lying and stealing and doing whatever other things. And even covetousness is called idolatry, Colossians 3, 5. So he says, keep the whole law. And for that matter, what about the rest of the commandments in the law of Moses? Scholars have enumerated them and some have counted 613, 613 commandments in the law of Moses, 613. Will they be able to keep them all? He says, if you don't believe only in Christ, you must keep the whole law, all of it, in thought, word, and deed, from womb to tomb. Who's going to be able to do that? Nobody. That's why it's an either-or proposition. It's Christ or nothing. It's Christ or condemnation. Then, those who have pursued justification by law, justification by works, seeking to be right in the sight of God by their good deeds. It says in verse 4, you have been severed From Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Severed from Christ, fallen from grace. The moment they seek to be justified by law, there is no grace and there is no Christ. In fact, you have been separated or severed from Christ and you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from the right standing you had. He doesn't mean loss of salvation. He means you end up showing that you are a false brother. This is what he means by falling from grace and being severed from Christ. We must say that because some misinterpretations from verse 4 have made people conclude that one can possess true salvation and then lose that salvation. Yet that's not what he means in Galatians 5 verse 4. The Apostle Paul could not be meaning that when elsewhere in his letters he says the very opposite doctrine. Philippians 1, six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. As well, he says in Romans 8.29 and 30, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also Glorified. The ones that are foreknown and predestined by God are the ones, the same ones who end up being glorified by God in an unbroken chain. It's the same group that starts in verse 29 that ends in verse 30. The same group of people, the same number of people. But we may illustrate what he means. In Galatians 5.4, he means it as the Apostle does in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3.12-14. to 14. Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. Verse 12 is a warning. Take care, lest take care, or else. And he addresses them as brethren or brothers. But it doesn't mean they are true brothers. They are visibly brothers. They are brothers by profession. They have professed faith in Christ. They meet together as Christians, as believers, as brothers in the family of God. So he calls them brothers for that reason. But he doesn't mean that they are true brothers, every single one of them, because he warns them in verses 12 and 13, he says, lest there should be in any one of you, verse 13, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I call you all brothers, but any one of you This might happen to you. And if this happens to you, you are not a true brother and everybody will come to know it. Why? Because if they have an evil, unbelieving heart, they fall away from the living God. They fall from grace. They are severed from Christ. And what caused it? The hardening by the deceitfulness of sin. And then 14. He says, We have become partakers of Christ. That is true of us. It is true of us if what? If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. If we hold fast from beginning to end, then we are true partakers of Christ. Which means... The true believer who has true salvation never loses it but holds on to it from beginning to end. Whoever has truly partaken of Christ will hold fast until the end. That's a true partaker of Christ, according to verse 14. The false partakers, the temporary partakers who are eventually severed from Christ and fall from grace, are described in verses twelve and thirteen. Okay, there are many other passages that could expound on this, but we'll move on. Galatians five verse five. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Who truly has the Holy Spirit? False teachers claim to have the Holy Spirit. Many, many false teachers claim to have the Holy Spirit. But he says, We, the Apostle Paul, and those of like faith, we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. They don't have the Spirit, and they don't have faith. They don't have true faith, and they don't have the true Holy Spirit. But we do, and we are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Waiting or anticipating, putting our, our, our thoughts on, fixating our thoughts on the hope of righteousness. This hope of righteousness is what we have as a deposit in our justification And then we grow in it in our sanctification. And then we come to the full experience of it in glorification when we meet Christ. That is the righteousness. Righteousness from justification. Righteousness from sanctification, which is our life right now. And then in the future when we see Christ, full righteousness. That is, we will be spotless, perfect, sinless forevermore. How is one to attain it? He says here, through the spirit by faith, not through the flesh by works, but through the spirit by faith. Six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. In Christ, circumcision and uncircumcision do not mean anything. You're not a better Christian if you're circumcised or if you're uncircumcised. And you're not a worse Christian if you are circumcised or uncircumcised. That doesn't matter. It has no bearing on the matter. This they should have known from Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, the apostle explained that Abraham was already justified by faith while he was uncircumcised, which declaration of his righteousness is in Genesis 15, 6. Genesis 15, 6. That was before, between the age of 75 and 86, before he begat Ishmael. And in chapter 17, that's when Abraham himself was circumcised at the age of 99. and Ishmael at age 13. So, Abraham being saved for so long while uncircumcised is proof that one does not need to be circumcised to be saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's why he's saying this in 5 verse 6. Explained, Elaborately in Romans 4, verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They were running well. They were sprinting. They were doing very well in their athletic competition. They were doing very well. And when they're doing well, if they don't succeed, you have to ask, well, what happened? What happened? Did, he, did the runner not train enough? Did the runner have too many uphills? Did the runner not have enough water? What happened? What happened? We ask that question. You were running well, so now we have to ask, well, what stopped you? What halted you? What stunted your ability to proceed? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? If someone is walking in the faith, faithfully, and then something happens and causes him to have a detour, to go on a detour, we have to ask, well, what happened? Get to the bottom of it, as he says here, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Notice that expression, obeying the truth. Paul might be accused of not teaching holiness, but that's not what he means here. He's saying here, obey the truth. Obey the truth. Faith working through love. Faith and love obey the truth. They all go hand in hand. It's not a lifeless, impotent faith. It's something to be exercised and obeyed. Obey the truth. So when we're not obeying the truth, we have to ask, what's the problem? Verse 8. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. The apostle says it categorically. That this persuasion, anyone who causes us to be distracted from the truth, distracted from true faith in Christ, he knows that that persuasion does not come from him who calls you. It doesn't come from God. Anytime then. Anytime our faith is compromised, anytime anyone is seeking to teach us something contrary to Scripture, to, from the true gospel, we have to understand it does not come from Him who calls you. Him who calls you. The calling of God, the, call, the effectual call of God, leads to salvation. Galatians 1, 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. The calling of God is twofold. One, it's external by the word of God. And two, it's internal by the spirit of God. When God calls, He is effective in accomplishing His work in us. So if God is effective, He accomplishes successfully His work in us, whatever is contrary to the model of God, to the example of God, to the Word of God, we know it's not coming from Him. So avoid it. Stay away from it. Call it out for what it is. And what is it? It's a little leaven, verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Leaven, most times in the Bible, not all the time, but most times in the Bible, leaven is an example, an illustration of sin. A little bit of leaven, just a little bit, a dash or a spoon or whatever amount is put in the dough, a little bit of yeast or leaven in the dough will make the dough rise. Correct? You don't need to have one part dough and one part leaven. Like a pound of dough and a pound of leaven. It doesn't work that way. Just a little bit is what you need to mix into the whole lump of dough to make the whole lump of dough rise. And that's the way sin is. We can't have the belief, well, it's just a little bit. Don't be so uptight about it. It's just a little bit. It's it's not a big sin anyways, and it's just a little bit. I just do it once in a while. So don't be so uptight about it. Yet the apostle says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So that theology, we have to throw away. The theology that nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, so just leave me alone. Of course nobody's perfect. That's why we can't leave you alone. We all have to be sanctified together. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Verse 10. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He commends them because he has seen their godliness in the past. So he says that, based on what I have seen, I have confidence that you will adopt no other view. That's an interesting phrase, is it not? You will adopt no other view. These days, it's actually very much commendable in the culture is very much something highly esteemed in the culture when you say, you know, there's different views out there and we just shouldn't be uptight about them all. There, There are different views and it doesn't matter. We can all be right at the same time. And even then, we don't have to make sure we're right. But here the apostle doesn't say that. He says he wants them to adopt... No other view. It's either right or wrong. It's either true or false. No other view. So figure out what what the right view is and get rid of all the wrong views. And then a warning. Those who have false views, he says, they are disturbing the church. They disturb, they upset the church. They cause conflicts in the church, divisions in the church. They are actually doing that. They are disturbing the church. They shall bear their judgment. There is judgment for those who upset the church. It should not be a light matter to bring division, false doctrine, into the church. That's why we have to be extremely careful Otherwise, there will be judgment for that sin. Verse 11, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. If I still preach circumcision, why am I still Persecuted. When he's speaking of uh, persecution, he's talking about those who are using circumcision as a tool for works and detract from Christ. 6.12, he says, chapter 6, verse 12, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He shouldn't be persecuted for what he is preaching On the matter. He should not be persecuted at all. In fact, his persecutors have the false interpretation on the matter. And then, verse 11 the cross, the real issue is they hate the cross. They hate the death of Christ. They hate the atonement of Christ. They hate the thought of why Jesus came into the world and died on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? He died on the cross because we are not good enough. Our righteousness is not good enough. We must believe in him. We also must acknowledge that we are woeful and helpless sinners. We cannot help ourselves. We need him. We have to believe that what he says and what he does is righteousness. What we do is wickedness. Well, doesn't all of that require humility and faith? Which is lacking. Because people lack humility and faith, they don't want to believe in the true meaning of the cross. Paul doesn't have it. In fact, in verse 12, what does Paul want? Those who are disturbing them, those who are troubling them, He wishes that they would even mutilate themselves. What does it mean to mutilate themselves? Actually, what's happening today in so-called transgenderism, they are mutilating themselves. They are destroying their sexual organs. They're destroying and distorting them. And he's saying here, you men, you men who are preaching circumcision, I wish that you would just cut off your organ. Just cut it off. And deal with the pain and and the suffering and whatever anguish you have to deal with the rest of your life. That's how disgusted the apostle is with their false teaching. Because their false teaching leads people to hell. It directs them to the lake of fire. So he says, away with you. Go away. And go harm yourself And stop bothering the church. Stop troubling the church. 13 to 15. 13 to 15. He returns to freedom and love. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We were called to freedom, like verse 1 said. However, freedom doesn't mean using our freedom as an opportunity for the sinful flesh, for an opportunity to live in sin. That's not what freedom means. Freedom means freedom from the guilt of the law and the condemnation of the law, but it does not mean freedom from obedience to God. He said in verse 7, obeying the truth. He said in verse 6, faith working through love. And now he returns to this. He says, instead, through love, serve one another. Love should be on our mind first and foremost as we think about one another. Through love, serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement. Now, he doesn't mean one word literally. He means one word figuratively. That's why the translation says, in the statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we love our neighbor as ourself, then we show we love God and we understand the true gospel. If we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves, that's the only commandment that we should have front and center. If you want to simplify it. That's what he's doing here. He's simplifying it. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we understand that, we understand the true gospel and true love of God, and we have the true knowledge of God. What he says there is said in other words in 1 John four nineteen to 21 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We must love our brother to prove we love God. And love our brother in the biblical way. Not in the worldly way, not in common Christian cultural ways, but in the biblical way. Love our neighbor. The opposite of loving our neighbor is in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. To bite and to devour one another. It's as though he's describing people in the church, people in the church who bite and devour like wild dogs Biting each other, devouring each other, or other wild animals attacking each other and biting each other, seeking to eat each other, whatever the reason for their dispute. Because he says, Take care lest you be consumed by one another. It is possible to unsheath a sword, two soldiers. From two countries, enemy countries, both of them to unsheath their sword and to wield their swords and then jab each other to death. Hit each other in a lethal spot and then fall to the ground and eventually perish. Right? So that's why he says we ought to love each other, not bite and devour each other, otherwise, will be consumed by one another. And that means that there will be two losers. Instead of two winners, there are two losers. Now, a contrast. Between verses 16 to 26, he compares and contrasts. There's only two ways to live, either by the Spirit or by the flesh. There aren't... There is no middle ground. There aren't any gray areas. There's either the spirit or the flesh. And that's why whenever an incident arises, whenever experiences come, whenever decisions need to be made, whenever a conflict arises, controversy arises, we have to ask, what is by the spirit and what is by the flesh? And the only way we can have a concrete definite way to determine what is by the Spirit and what is by the flesh is by the Word of God. The Word of God will explain what is fleshly and what is of the Holy Spirit. 16. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If we're walking by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. It's one way or the other. 17, for the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. They are in opposition. There is a war going on between our flesh and the Holy Spirit within us. This war is ongoing. This war will take place until we meet the Lord face to face. It will keep going Throughout our life, it will not ever end until our last breath. He says here, they are in opposition because the flesh wants to defeat the work of the spirit in us. But the spirit is working against our flesh. When the flesh is working this way, we are not able to do so that you may not do the things that you please. This is what happens, a conflict so that we're not able to do what we please. 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we are led by the Spirit, not under the law. If we are led by the Spirit, we have the grace of Christ. If we are led by the Spirit, we have freedom in Christ. If we have this freedom in Christ, walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, we are no longer under the condemnation and bondage of the law. No longer. That's what he means. You are not under the law. You are not under the penalty or condemnation of the law. And therefore, we're no longer under the system of do this and you will live. Instead, we are walking by faith. Then, 19 to 21, the deeds of the flesh. He calls them deeds of the flesh. And then in contrast, 22, the fruit of the spirit. The deeds of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. And notice, he says, are evident, verse 19, evident, clear, conspicuous, obvious. No one should have to tell you that these come from the flesh. It should be obvious to all. Immorality, which means sexual immorality. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousings. In case one of our sins or one of our major sins is not mentioned there, he says, and things like these. And things like these. Which means... Any sin, any and every sin, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. A forewarning. Why is there a warning? A warning in advance? Because of judgment. He says that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There is no inheritance, no heaven, no salvation, no eternal life, no forgiveness of sins for those who practice such things. It does not exist. That's why we cannot have a sexually immoral Christian. We cannot put those two together, these adjectives or nouns and Christian together. There is no such thing as an impure Christian, a sensual Christian, idolatrous Christian, a sorcerous Christian, so forth. There is no such thing. You cannot put these together. When people do put these together, they are contradicting Scripture. And they are in jeopardy of not inheriting the kingdom of God. The opposite. The Bible also makes it clear what the opposite is. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Spirit produces these qualities within us. We receive a deposit of these qualities upon our conversion and then these qualities or virtues increase in us throughout our Christian life. This is the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit receives a blessing from God. The thorns and the thistles receives the curse of God. The thorns and thistles are verses 19 to 21. The fruit of the Spirit, 22 to 23. It's one or the other. And the analogy of blessing and cursing, that's from Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, verses 7 and 8. If it produces thorns and thistles, which is verses 19 to 21 here, the deeds of the flesh, that's the curse, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the blessing, when fruit is born, that's in 22 to 23. 24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Christ, if we are united to Christ, if we are in Christ, if we belong to Christ, if we truly believe in Him, what happened at the moment of our belief, our first belief, our conversion? What happened? We were crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. That is, We are alive or resurrected to Christ and we are crucified or dead to our sinful flesh upon our conversion. That's why he says, have, past tense, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We crucified the flesh at our conversion. He even uses uh, that phrase or similar phrase in 614, 614. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross, the world was crucified to me and I to the world. Not only did He crucify His flesh upon His conversion, He crucified His relationship to the world. The world now means nothing to Him. The world is dead to Him. And Christ is alive in Him. 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. When He's saying this if... He's not saying if in a doubtful way. He's saying if in, an, an ass, assump, in terms of an assumption, in a presumptive way. That is, since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, and he means since, if that is the case, that the Spirit gave us life, then we ought to continue to walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desire of the flesh. 26. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. False teachers are boastful, they challenge one another, and they envy one another. The false teachers. He's not talking about the true teachers, He's talking about false teachers are boastful and they challenge each other and envy each other. It's competition. Yes, it's competition. The pastors so one one man has one pastor has a church of 50 and then he sees another one with a church of 75 and the one of 75 sees another with a church of 150 and the 150 the pastor of 150 He has his eyes. He's coveting the church of 500 and on and on like that. And they see what they can do to make theirs bigger and bigger in sinful ways. They are boastful. They challenge one another and they envy one another. Clear distinction between freedom and slavery, between faith and works, between Christ and and separation from Christ between the Spirit and the flesh. Let's heed that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.